episode 45 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? Well, as we're recording this on Friday, November 6th, 2020, we are anxiously awaiting the results of the presidential election, which, as of right now, seems very likely that Biden will win. Uh, and interestingly, we are going to be talking about two political films today that both happen to star Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes, very much. So. I think very, very timely movies. And I watched both of them uh, the week before the election. Uh, let's get into the first one right here. The first one we're going to do is The Trial of the Chicago 7, directed by Aaron Sorkin, also written by Aaron Sorkin. This is his second directorial effort after Miss Sloan. I believe. No, no. Molly's game. Molly's game. That's the, it. The other Jessica, <laughs> the other Jessica Chastain vehicle. <laughs> Did you see either of them? I saw uh, parts of Molly's game. I saw the clips with the, the, uh, uh, the person who's supposed to be, uh, who's the actor? Tobey Maguire, who was played by uh, Michael Sarah in the movie, right? Well, I saw Molly's game in a theater. I thought it was good. I mean, it's, um, we, we can get into Aaron Sorkin in general, but, but set up, for people that don't know, including Aaron Sorkin himself, this film has been in development for many years. Yes. Steven Spielberg was going to direct it, and he came to Aaron Sorkin about writing a screenplay, and he said, great, and he came home and asked his father, what's The Trial of Chicago 7? What's that? Oh, he really? <laughs> yeah. He didn't know about the backstory when he agreed to make a film about it, to write a screenplay, and it's been through many iterations. Paul Greengrass mm -hmm. was going to do it at a time. And then after Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin ended up directing it as, as well as you know, being the sole screenwriter. So you set up the political background of the film. Yeah, uh, well, first, it, it stars Sasha Baron Cohen, as we mentioned before, Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Mark Rylance, Frank Langella, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, and Jeremy Strong. Absolute all-star cast. But the movie dramatizes the titular trial of the Chicago 7, but more like the Chicago 8, if you include Bobby Seale, who are eight anti-Vietnam protesters who face charges of conspiracy and crossing state lines with the intention of inciting riots at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Uh, it was released on Netflix October 16th, so hopefully most people will have seen it, and if you haven't, I very strongly recommend seeing it. Um, but this, yeah, as you mentioned, this is definitely a part of American history most people don't know too much about. I don't even know how much people know about the riots at the 1968 Democratic National Convention, um, let alone the subsequent trial of these anti-Vietnam War protesters. But uh, this is very much like a docudrama type movie, wouldn't you say? Right. It's uh, interestingly, I taught in my documentary class, Give Me Shelter, and I gave a 20-minute history lesson about the late 60s in America, Vietnam, the assassinations that had been going on. And I talked about the 1968 Democratic Convention. And I was actually wanting to watch the film Medium Cool, which yes. I've never seen, which is a film starring the late Robert Forster. And it was actually partially filmed at the 1968 Democratic Convention. It was a very contentious. There was uh, Abby Hoffman, and others that were protesting and they were doing things like trying to give LSD to delegates and they were yes. going to send in sexy hippie girls. <laughs> but the film doesn't focus on the actual convention. No, it, it focuses uses flashbacks on to show right. us the, the, those events. Right. And it is uh, ostensibly a courtroom drama. A l large majority yes. of the film takes place 
in the courtroom and also uh, the planning of their legal strategy of what's going to happen. And um, I think that the film is very compelling. It's very, very well acted. And it's very well written with the caveat that it's very much an Aaron Sorkin film. <laughs> yes. And I, more often than not, I like his writing. It has a screwball quality to it, like a rat-a-tat-tat mm-hmm. musical quality where like every comma and uh, and every time there's a word, it's there for purpose. Yes. And I remember he did the show, The Newsroom, and I remember hearing an in- interview with Emily Mortimer and there was a scene where she had to say like the same word five times in a row. And she said it four times. And Aaron Sorkin went, you missed one of the words. <laughs> and she's like, but I got to him in time. He's like, no, 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 it's five. It, you know. And so he's very particular. Uh, other directors like that, writer directors, Noah Baumbach and Wes mm-hmm. Anderson, like if they leave out an uh or the Coen brothers, you know. And uh, sometimes that writing gets a little on the nose and a little obnoxious. Well, sometimes but overall, it's unrealistic. Yeah, but who cares? Movies are not supposed to, <laughs> even if it is based on historical events. Yes. You know, you, you watch Bringing Up Baby or a Preston yes, Sturges exactly. film, you're not expecting reality. And even though this is a historical drama, uh, most of the time that playfulness works with, especially uh, Abby Hoffman. Yes. Who's the real guy that Jeremy Strong plays? Um, uh, It's uh, Jerry Rubin. Who's sort yeah, right. of in the movie depicted like Abby Hoffman's like wingman, but I think he's a little more of an individual in his own right. But they're both part of like the yippy movement, so they're very much paired right. together in this movie. And I think I think overall that kind of screwball quality actually works to the film's benefit because yes. Abby Hoffman and Ruben are that way. They they do <laughs> yes. stunts, you know, Zingers. They, they, right? <laughs> Even I in mean, the courtroom. Yeah, and I mean there are scenes where Abby Hoffman is basically doing stand up. Yes, uh, in a club. And so uh, there are times where I kind of rolled my eyes and, you know, or Sorkin's doing a playing with the names and there's questions about the judge saying, I just want to make it clear that's not my name. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's amusing, but sometimes you just feel like Sorkin's spinning his wheels. Slightly and like playing. overwritten. Yeah. But overall, I thought, it, you know, the, the good aspects of his writing far outweigh the negative aspects. This is like you know, one of his better screenplays. And um, mm-hmm. you could argue that um, what if a David Fincher or a Danny Boyle had directed this, would it maybe been even better as a film? But I thought he did a, a decent job. I thought Molly's Game was a good film too. I, I think it's a solid directorial achievement, but it's certainly the screenplay and the acting that make the worth make the film worth recommending. Well, the the thing that like kind of shocked me when I saw it for the first time, which you haven't mentioned yet, is like the editing of it, especially the first opening sequence where they're sort of prepping uh, what everyone is doing going into the trial and it's going back and forth. And sometimes it has characters finishing other characters' sentences in like a different uh, place and time, which I thought was actually very, very well done. But it just moves at such an incredible pace. Like the beginning starts off, like setting up this whole trial thing, each character is introduced. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where you just can recognize Aaron Sorkin as a master because he does a really good job of getting exposition into interesting dialogue in a way that a lot of screenwriters don't. Like it could, it very the first ten minutes of this movie very much could have felt like he was just like giving you sort of it would be a little didactic where I'm just like I'm telling you this is it, but it's edited and written in such a like fast-paced, exciting way that it sets up the rest of the movie really well. And right, it's not like Wikipedia backstory. No, it's, it's like, not. It's like dramatized exceptionally well. 
And right. I get what you mean about maybe a different director possibly could have brought more out of it. Like you mentioned uh, Sorkin, or sorry, not Fincher, and Danny Boyle, who uh, Steve Jobs with Danny Boyle. Some people don't like that, but I'm a big fan of it. And I think everyone will recognize how great The Social Network is, which is Aaron Sorkin combined with David Fincher. So I would have been interested to see the Spielberg version of it. I think maybe yeah. it wouldn't have looked too different than this one, but maybe he like would have gotten... Uh, like a, I mean, the cast is already strong as it is, but you know, maybe a big name might have joined Miss Spielberg in it. But can I uh, quibble about one of the performances or sure. just an actor? I every time I see Eddie Redmayne, I just <laughs> have like Oscar, Oscar, Oscar yes. flashing on the screen. He just, you know, Lay Miz, the Danish girl. Yes. He just the theory of everything. He's a very good actor. He's a very fine actor, but he just seems like he's giving a performance most this of the was time. one of my and, favorite of him though to be honest because he doesn't play someone who's likable for most of it his character is not really likable until the very end of the movie and he's actually sort of set up to be like the one of the chicago seven who you're like not fully convinced of uh, at least for most of it but for some reason he like pops up in a bunch of scenes where i'm like did he really need to go with the lawyers to this guy's house <laughs> Well, I do think that one of the problems is that uh, Tom Hayden is like this real American guy and yes. Eddie Redmayne team seems too British. You think so? I thought, yeah, it, he, I thought like, his I voice like, actually, I mean, his voice, you could tell it was an accent, but I thought it was like a good like American accent. It sounded like a guy who I kind of want to punch in the face, but like <laughs> what he's saying, it's like worth listening to. I thought. I guess I, he's just been in too many uh, British period piece films that I, I just, he just looks too british to me he just he takes you out like of it a little American bit american guy and i mean this isn't a criticism i mean this has happened throughout film history but you know uh sasha baron cohen's like 16 years too old to play abby hoffman He's yeah well apparently he was like i'd when they were gonna make it in like 2007 before the writers guild so right and it was another but, thing with like uh who was it willem dafoe playing uh Vincent Van Gogh, where people were like, he's so old, how could he be Van Gogh when he died at 38? And it was like, <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> well, yeah, and he actually gave a point to that, that, you know, people live so, you know, in a, you know, there are so many people that died young that, like, even if Defoe is, like, 60 or something, it was like... He's he lived hard old. years. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I've I've said before that... You know, you might look back and see like a remake of something. Oh, oh, these people are way too young to play these characters. But you look back in the original. Oh, wait, they're actually older than the original. <laughs> uh -huh. Like I know that like Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker were on a um, Broadway doing a stage show that had like George C. Scott and Maureen Stapleton or something like that. I forgot the female and people are like, oh, they're way too young to play these characters. And they realized they're like older than George C. Scott and the actress. <laughs> like, you know, people seem older. But yeah, I mean, it's like. Malcolm McDowell is too old to play the character in A Clockwork Orange, but it's such a great performance. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. So but Yeah, you mentioned Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, for me, he's along with uh, – I don't know how to pronounce his first name. I, I'm going to say Yaya Abdul-Mateen yeah. are the two real standout acting performances. Uh, one is Bobby Seale. The other is Abby Hoffman. I think if we're going to get Oscar nominations for acting in this movie, it will be probably one of those two guys. Well, um, they're going to put every actor in it in the supporting actor category. Cause it's one of those where there's not really a lead. No, there, I mean, if there was one, it would probably be Eddie Redmayne. Right. Maybe and um, Sasha I, 
I I would say the best performance in the film is Mark Rylance. I mean, he's so exceptionally good. Anyway, <laughs> he's the one who who isn't trying to be showy, but kind of is showy just because he's so good. <laughs> yeah, and and Frank Langella is a lot of fun in the film. Yes, he's. I mean, he's pretty perfect as like the judge who's slightly losing it. Well, more than slightly losing it, but yeah, he's so aggravating <laughs> his character, but he plays it so well. But um, yeah, I I saw this in a theater in Atlanta, and it was. How many people were in the crowd? One, but that's okay because it's good. It's COVID. (laughs) It's like the paradox of like you want to go back to the movie theater and have Uh a crowd and sit with a group of people and experience a film, but you don't. This is one I would like to have been with a decent amount of people. I actually watched it with my mom and dad, and they were both like – Pretty gripped by it, both very troubled by the uh, riot sequences, but and also the treatment of Bobby Seal that is depicted in the movie. But it's supposed to be a gut punch, those parts of it, and I think it got those across really, really effectively. And I think right. it, I think it works well as like an instructive sort of movie and just teaching people about the history of the event because I think it is an event most people would be unfamiliar with, even who like maybe like took AP history classes and stuff like that. It's something that's just barely touched on. Um, yeah, I mean, and you could always say that there's, I'm sure there's aspects of it that are not entirely historically accurate. And just for reference, there is a documentary that came out in 2007 called Chicago 10 mm-hmm. that's directed by Brett Morgan, who directed um, The Kid Stays in the Picture and oh. um, Cobain, Montage of Heck, and Jane about Jane Goodall. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, a number of good documentaries. And it's a film that mixes animation. Um, so if someone wants to like before seeing this film, they can watch a, a animated documentary, uh, wow. Chicago 10. <laughs> who who um, are the 10, if I may ask? I, I guess know, the they, two they, lawyers. I mean, the voice cast is pretty impressive. Hank Azaria, Dylan Baker, Nick Nolte, Mark Ruffalo, Roy Scheider, Liv Schreiber, Jeffrey Wright. That's like really impressive, actually. That's not a, yeah. a whole lot less impressive than this movie, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, uh, so that's one. And also, even though it's not streaming anywhere, I wanted to watch it before. Medium Cool is a film that was partially A lot of shot. that's actually available on YouTube. Yeah. Have well, you, have you seen the, that movie yet? No, but I oh, have I, seen some I, of the... I really, really recommend it, especially if you were to, like, have a, a double feature with this one. It's, I mean, it's one of the more, like, mind-blowing movies you'll ever see because it just melds, like, real, actual events with fiction and such... I mean, you don't see many movies do like that. I can't even think of too many off the top of my head. I'm sure there are some. I mean, like <laughs> Borat, the movie we'll talk about next, <laughs> sort of does it, but not to the same extent Medium Cool does, because like, yeah, well, it captures like a real yeah. riot. I know this is shameful, but I I don't know too much about the film. But is the Battle of Algiers kind of sort of do that? It's it's a kind of. Just, um, it's I mean, that, I, it's all. It's all fictional. It doesn't, I think, capture anything real. I think a lot of the extras might be like real people, but right. I don't think it's like, like medium cool. Is like he is in it. Like he is, he is getting tear gas. Haskell Wexler. Like people like actually like talk to him. Like Haskell, it's real <laughs> during yeah. the movie, and you don't get that. I mean, too much when you see a movie. So, so let me very much recommend medium cool as a companion piece to the trial of the Chicago Seven, yeah. but. In the um, Criterion Collection and the Barnes and Noble sales going on, it's not streaming anywhere, but <laughs> you can watch clips yeah. on YouTube. The whole ride sequence is on YouTube, so if nothing right. else, you can at least see that. Right. Um, so thumbs up for the Trial of Chicago Seven. I would say it's definitely um, uh, worth seeing. It's on Netflix now. 
Well, let me touch on one other thing. Is this? I feel like this was the first time I'd seen Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a movie in a while. He missed, like took uh, some sort of yeah. semi-retirement, right? Um, I missed his Oliver Stone playing Snowden. That was a, four years ago. Yeah, and I think that was like his last big role. So I was yeah. very pleased to see him in this, and I actually think he was really good as the federal prosecutor who's a little bit hesitant of taking this case on, and you get the, the sort of... Uh, crowd pleasing thing at the end where he stands up for the defendants but you sort of need that i mean people will i'm sure people have criticisms of this movie where it's like it's a little bit like he hits the tropes of a trial movie and it's a little bit corny but i feel like this is a sort of movie where corniness is not a bad thing because the message is very important and it, and it actually gets the message across very well so i mean i could see people like because the whole thing where like everyone stands up at the end and there's always that moment in a trial movie where like everyone claps, but they actually do a nice little trick in this one where the part where everyone claps is very quickly like put down and they're like, Nope, that person's testimony is not actually going to be admitted to the trial. Um, but I think one thing is like, I was thinking about it when I watched it is like the trial movie has really faded from popularity in recent years. I know just mercy came out last year, but that did not do, as well as I think a lot of people expected. And I thought that was a really good movie, but right. Uh, was, I mean, this is like, besides and those that, two, it's hard for me to think of like big trial movies besides what is yeah. it? The judge. With, uh... Which I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, I, uh, and even just mercy is not so much a trial as much about the setting up the trial, yes. like the legal yes. defense. It's, it's, it, there's not actually too many scenes in the actual. No, there court. actually aren't. It's so, it's a lot uh, more about, like, the prisoners and the people on death row, yeah. But, like, right. you go back to, like, I mean, the 50s, and, like, there were, like, tons of trial movies. Anatomy and, of a Murder and Witness yeah, for the Prosecution. Exactly. And, and then even in the Nuremberg. 90s, we've got, like, Philadelphia. And before that, in the 80s, we've got The Verdict. So I think we were starved for a great trial movie, and I think this actually really delivered. Right. I'm trying to think of other court films in recent years. We'll have to... We'll probably come up with some in our mind, but uh, yeah, but, I, I mean, mean, there aren't as many that like stick out to you, like uh, a few good men or anything like that. Philadelphia, which, by the way, was uh, written by Aaron, Aaron Sorkin. Sorkin, exactly the master of the right. trial film. I feel like he should have been a litigator, <laughs> right? Well, um, but yeah, definitely thumbs up for me for Trial of the Chicago Seven. Both my parents liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, my we'll mom move liked on it too. To Borat's subsequent movie film, also starring Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, directed by Jason Walliner. Are you familiar with any of his work? No, I know what Larry Charles directed the original who uh, worked on, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm. I know Jason Walliner most from the sketch comedy series on Comedy Central, Human Giant. Did you ever watch that? It had like Rob Hubel and Aziz Ansari. Very weird, but when I read that Jason Walliner directed this, I was like, that guy? <laughs> and I was actually very impressed with uh, with what he did. This was actually his directorial debut. Um, starring Sasha Baron Cohen as the titular Borat and Maria Bakalova, who is probably like the newcomer of the year, as far as I'm concerned, as Borat's daughter. Uh, I'm going to give a little summary. After shaming his nation of Kazakhstan with the 2006 film, Borat Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Borat is sent back to America with a mission to deliver Kazakh Minister of Culture, Johnny the Monkey, to President Donald Trump so that the Kazakhstan minister can join the strongman club that Trump is part of with Kim Jong-un in an attempt to redeem the nation of Kazakhstan. 
It was released on Amazon Prime on October 23rd, 2020. And I feel like most of this was shot over the past year. And we got little sort of like inklings or like clips of Borat out in the wild over the last few months. But I think for the most part, this really came out of nowhere. Right. I mean, there wasn't a confirmation until just a few months ago that this was officially a Borat film. I mean, he had a series on Showtime and people were questioning, is this is he doing stuff for a second season of this show? Because one of the parts, one of the conceits of the film is that. Borat is more easily recognized. So there are parts yes. of the film where he's playing Borat playing someone else. <laughs> yes. Like a redneck father or so do you want to give um your uh feelings of the film overall? I, I kind of gave mine on the Trial of Chicago Seven first. Sure. Uh I mean, like you expect from Sasha Baron Cohen's comedy that a little bit of it is gonna be a little bit unbelievable. Like, how can someone be in this situation and not realize it's a movie? And I think for that reason, his style of comedy works a little bit better when uh, it's in like that Showtime series or a Dolly G show where it's not trying necessarily to be a narrative. It's just sort of like random interactions with real people. Exactly. So, I mean, you can question sometimes about like whether the people were like forced to say a line or not necessarily forced, but like, you know, suggested to say a line to move the narrative forward. But I didn't really have too many problems with that during the movie because I think the narrative actually worked really well, where it's mostly about Borat's daughter, Tutar. (laughs) He's sort of learning the freedoms that women have in the West as opposed to uh, her home country of Kazakhstan, which I think it's a little bit important to separate the Borat uh, depiction of Kazakhstan with, like, real Kazakhstan, because I think more than anything, it's just supposed to represent otherness than, like, a real actual country and, like, the the immigrant in the mind of American people. Um, but, I, it, I mean, it's, it's one of those movies where you, like, watch it and you can't believe what you're seeing. <laughs> and it, you're laughing, but you're also a little upset by what you're watching. And that's... I think how the original Borat was, but I think this is a little bit more barbed in its criticism because obviously in 2006 when the original Borat comic like, was released, it's not like America was <laughs> a utopia of freedom and democracy and open-mindedness like during the Bush presidency, but we have certainly entered into a new nadir over the last four years, so if someone were to come around and expose the... Uh, the hypocrisies of America. Sasha Bird Cohen is very much the perfect vehicle for doing that. And it just, I mean, it seemed like a godsend, to be honest, when it was released, that Borat had a new movie coming out two weeks before the election. So, I mean, like most people, I was very eager to watch it. And upon watching it, I was very impressed. And I watched it one time by myself, and I got my mom to watch it a second time. And she was very troubled watching it in a, in a good way, laughing, but also very uncomfortable. I mean, I think it's, I mean, his style of comedy, there's this specific person in it who's like, uh, plays a, or she doesn't play, she is like a babysitter, who's like totally duped the whole time, and you feel a little bit bad for her, but uh, she's... But she's one of the best aspects of the film, though. Yes, and she actually makes the narrative work, because like, if it weren't for her character, the whole uh, coming to uh, an epiphany moment of the daughter wouldn't have happened in the same way. So she actually plays the role really, really well. Um, I mean, it's hard not to talk about the, it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about the actress who plays the daughter, who does a lot of the sort of Sasha Baron Cohen stuff in the one-on-one interviews, because I guess he expected most people 
would have recognized him. So he sort of has a proxy in the daughter character. Like there's a interview she does with a social media influencer that I thought was the funniest part of the movie. I was just absolutely cracking up during it. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was incredible. I, I mean, <laughs> I think Sasha Baron Cohen is a genius and I don't think anyone does what he does close to as good as he does it. And I'm glad Borat is back in our life. I thought that he was never going to come back. <laughs> Just like uh, I thought Bruno was never going to come back. And I thought Ali G was never going to come back. So maybe we have a hope to see, I mean, even more of his original characters in the near future. So the original Borat, I think, is the funniest film of this century. I really? think it's a masterpiece. I think it's like a truly brilliant work of satire of comedy and it's one of the greatest theater experiences i've ever had i saw it opening weekend with my father oh i wish i had seen it in theaters (laughs) and i have never heard an audience laugh as hard as often as uproariously like theater shaking foot stomping (laughs) i mean probably like the whole time too oh yeah i mean it is one of the greatest theater experiences i was really disappointed in the sequel really it pales very much in comparison to the original. I think that the main problem, I read this critic's quote before I saw the film. I try not to read too much about the film. I didn't want to know, uh-huh. you know, what happened with Rudy Giuliani or any of the, you know, see, I tried to know as little as possible. Mm-hmm. But there's a film critic named Josh Larson who writes, uh, uh, and this is a quote from him. The movie is trying to expose people who have already been walking around the past four years with their pants down. And to me, that's exactly it. The problem is that in the original, you know, it's Bush era post 9-11. And there was some semblance that you couldn't just be outwardly racist and homophobic and sexist and Uh anti-Semitic. And that the movie exposed that in this country, or at least people's complacency with Borat acting that way. They kind of don't correct him often (laughs) in the original film. And I think the original film is so barbed and so strong and is such a just biting satire. And I think that the problem is that when we have a president, hopefully not for too much effing long. It's beyond satire. Yeah. The problem is when you have a man who says we have good people on both sides when there's neo-Nazis and Klan members walking in our country and you have – he's allowed the country to be more openly racist and awful. Borat coming around and playing this character and getting people to expose that, it's like, well, we know this. The president is saying this. And it just felt like lame and it felt more than – the original movie, which had so many funny scenes that uh-huh. you genuinely felt were real and that they didn't know too much of this film f- felt set up. And even the scenes that were real, that were gotcha moments, like the Rudy Giuliani scene, it just kind of didn't pay off that much. It just yeah. was like kind of disappointing. And the scene where <laughs> you didn't like the dev ball. <laughs> I mean, the part with, uh, in their scenes, like, you know, with the, the the going to the abortion clinic, that's just way too set up, and it's just not funny. Yeah. I just there's scenes. Well, that that the, was one of the scenes that I don't think worked. The part yeah. of the abortion clinic. I just and I felt like the scene where she's I won't give away the joke, but where they're dancing at the etiquette ball that was just crude and it. Just, oh, I it, thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I just I I just felt the movie was it's 
a long line of great comedy films with a sequel that pales so much in comparison. Oh, yeah. And I laughed here or there. I mean, I actually think some of the funniest things in the movie are just the almost like vaudeville character foreigner stuff with him and his daughter, you know, Yashimash, you know, it's like the <laughs> stuff that's obnoxious when other people did it for 10 years, you know, yes. high five, sexy time, you know, but <laughs> some of that stuff's just funny. Yes. But a lot of the gotcha moments and the going and infiltrating people, mm -hmm. it just, a lot of it felt st well, too staged. It yes. felt lame. It didn't pay off. It just... I was just like, and and the other big issue was that it just, like I said, when we have a president who's talking like Borat does sometimes, not too far off, it's like, what is he exposing? It's like, we these people have been walking around for four years with their pants down already. Like, what, what is he exposing? No, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's why, like, on the level of, like, the gotcha sort of thing, and especially the sort of the whole purpose of the Borat character is... I think of it as mostly sort of exposing anti-Semitism because that's like the main thrust of the Borat thing is like he hates Jews and he wants all Jews to die. And they make a big joke in this movie about him being crushed that the Holocaust wasn't real, which right. has nothing to do with like setting up someone. It's not like he talks to Holocaust deniers. It actually tries to sort of go on that by him going to a synagogue and talking to two Holocaust survivors, which... I don't. I thought that didn't work particularly well either. It's like the the original film where he stays at the bread and breakfast breakfast with the two with the Jewish couple. That's really funny in the original yes. film. But that's the problem too is that there's scenes in this movie where you just remember the original film and go, <laughs> it was so much funnier in the original movie and it felt more real. It was such a high bar though. That... I know. I like. I said. I think the original is the best comedy film of the century. So uh, do and... you think this shouldn't have been made? I think that it I, – I question why – what's the point of this movie? I just – it feels uh – -huh. and I agree. One critic said that even though the original Borat is certainly of its time, you know, post-9-11, Bush era, that movie is going to be evergreen with yes. comedy. I think the sequel is much more like Saturday Night moment. Live, Late yeah. Show. It's not – all the jokes are not going to pay off and be as funny 20 years from now. That is 100 percent true. But I, I think it it worked as a movie of its moment. And I mean, I watched it twice and I thought it was just as funny the second time as the first. Um, but no, it is the first one set an extremely high bar. And yeah. And I and I, I was disappointed in Bruno, too. Bruno. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bruno's just one of my problems with Bruno is that he's an asshole of a character. And to me, having someone go up to you and harass you and be obnoxious doesn't show that you're homophobic. It just yeah. shows that you're You don't like assholes. By... Yeah. <laughs> and I just felt that that one also, there was too much of it was staged. And yes. I mean, I think the Ali G show is hysterical. Yes. I think it's brilliant. And I think Borat is amazing. It's just, I think sometimes his material, you know, you, you it has to be strong. And I feel like, you know, partially because he wanted it out before the election, maybe it was a little rushed and yes. because of COVID. The you could see the changed. seams at some point where they're like trying really hard to make a coherent story out of this. And they put yeah. scenes that weren't the best material, but were put into the movie because it needs to be 90 to 100 minutes. And that's right. definitely true. And it is sort of like an extended sketch in the way 
not in the same way that Borat was like a real movie, and it yeah. had like a storyline of him trying to who was he, who was he trying to marry at the end? Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Uh, Pamela Anderson. <laughs> but, I mean, I what do you I, think of of the daughter though? Well, she's the best things in the film are the daughter, yes. the actress is from Bulgaria, and uh, the actual babysitter. And they play off really yes. well. Like I said, some, the, some of the best scenes are just, even if they're like quote unquote dramatic scenes, it's just the character work mm-hmm. of Borat. Like, character is one of the greatest comic creations of this century, of the last you yes. know, 20, 25 years, whenever it originally premiered. But I just think that. You know, that character needs stronger material or I just feel like there's scenes that it's like, where's what's the joke? Like this, you know, he stayed in character for days and (laughs) camped out with these, you know, right wing, you know, people. And and, you know, I, I commend him for his conviction of staying in character and actually staying with them. But like when they're espousing this crazy, you know, right wing stuff, you're just like. Yeah, the people there's like a third to a, you know a third of the country that thinks that way. It's like what it, it's not shocking anymore, no. and it's it, it's it's shocking that it's not shocking, but it just is like where's the it's I just sometimes during the film I was like where's the joke like what's the satire like <laughs> yeah. we've moved beyond it's like it's hard to do satire in the time time of Trump. It's like I thought yes. the last few seasons of Veep, you know, were very funny at times, but it was just like it couldn't compete with reality well you can say the same about snl over the last four years yeah like with so the, uh, I, alec baldwin playing trump yeah. it's yeah so I, I would recommend if you've never seen the original borat absolutely watching the original borat and the ali g show yes and his show um is it what is america what is america? i thought that was actually pretty good yeah um, but I honestly would not recommend people watch, even watch the new Borat. It's a waste of time, I think. What? Yeah. I th- I, well, maybe now that we're past election day, it won't be the same. But I thought it was I thought it was a good movie to watch before the election. I it, would give it like two and a half out of five. Two and a half out of five. Yeah, I, I just thought it was I, like I. If you po- if you counted with a clicker how many times I laughed, I laughed. You know, you know, pretty. But at the end, it was empty for you. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you know, that that little thing made me laugh. This little, I just felt like, and there were chunks of the film. I was just, this isn't funny. Yeah, it's lame. It's not earned. And like the scene where he dresses up. Well, I mean, there's a part where he dresses up as Trump, and that it's like, what's the joke? It just felt like a stupid stunt. Like, and it's like Pence looked off screen for a few seconds. It just, it, it just. It like some of the big oh my gosh he did this and he, it's just like at the end of the day it's like but what's so funny it's just like it it just fell flat. I definitely um, agree with that. The parts that were supposed to be the big parts didn't work. But I mean, like, my, my favorite scene of it is like post the Giuliani scene where it's him running around and it's like ridiculous banana hammock and he's like running for the police and he just like says to his daughter like behind the dumpster like oh i would never let you marry him i mean that's not like a scene with anyone who's being due for anything but that scene actually worked very well for me right and i don't think that you know i don't think that rudy giuliani was about to like have sex with this woman and like i don't think he was necessarily actually reaching his hand down his pants like i believe he probably was just adjusting his mic Mm -hmm. i mean i just like like I just it's like in the Bruno film with Ron Paul, there's a scene it's like he's just doing a stupid prank and it's like, but he's not exposing anything. He's mm. just playing a stupid prank. And it's like, that's just kind and of making silly. people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, 
making Rudy Giuliani look like an idiot is like <laughs> it's not hard himself. to do. <laughs> I know. It, yeah. So I, I when I sometimes I read a qu- critic's quote on Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes and I go that I you can't get that out of your head. Yeah. And the movie is trying to expose people who have already been walking around the past four years with their pants down. That's my major p- problem with the film. Yeah. Um, that's so, I mean that's very fair. I yeah. Totally so what would you that. give? I'd give the Trial of Chicago seven four out of five. I'd give the Borat sequel two and a half out of five. What would you give the films? Oh man, uh, I mean it's hard not to be a prisoner of the moment because like I was so hyped up watching the Trial of the Chicago Seven the first time that I was like, this is a five out of five. This is perfect. But it's it's probably like a four. It's a very very good trial movie, and it shows a part of American history that most people are not familiar with, but is a very important part of American history. And in that, I think it deserves some credit also. And it deserves credit for making that entertaining because it got a little bit of criticism for like making the liberal left look like, uh, like not cool. And I was like, I don't get where that came from because I feel like all of these characters like come across as like, not necessarily revolutionaries like Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin have, come across like that but definitely like people who have convictions and like aren't lame like (laughs) i don't i didn't get like the boring criticism of like it makes liberalism look boring i was like i didn't find that at all watching the movie um but right it's a rousing film it's it is rousing i think i really would have liked to see it with the crowd i think this would have been a great movie to see with the packed theater because i mean i think people like would have been like responding in the moment like the part where bobby seals harassed is like a really really harrowing part of the movie and actually uh i think in like real life that went on for like three or four days while in the movie it makes it seem like as soon as it happened it's over uh so obviously there's going to be liberties taken with uh historical events to put it into how long is this movie it's two hours and two hours and 15 minutes yeah so obviously liberties will be taken but i i think we are on record as saying we are very okay with liberties being taken if it works in the context of the movie yeah, my line is always, don't let the truth get in the way of a good film. Yeah, and like I think Abby Hoffman would be okay with that. <laughs> and right. I mean, I, I know talking awards is tedious, but do you think either of these has a chance of getting nominated for Academy Awards? I don't think Borat deserves to get nominated, even though, you know, the original actually got nominated for, for a Best screenplay. Adapted, yeah. Best Adapt- and uh, just a bit of trivia, Todd Phillips... Uh, first nomination was not for Joker. He was nominated as one of the screenwriters for Borat. <laughs> it had like a bunch of screenwriters, didn't it? And um, I was going to say, uh, my three, I think the three funniest films of this century, or at least the first decade of this century, are Borat, Bad Santa, and In the Loop. And In oddly, the Loop is two, amazing. Yeah, two of those three are uh, comedy films based on British television shows. Yes. Um, but I think that. Not it's, Anchorman. Like, I never, <laughs> Anchorman oh, is the best comedy experience I've ever had in a movie theater. That was one where everyone was just cracking up like the entire time. And yeah. I like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, this is like unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, I was in the perfect age where I saw like so many of those Will Ferrell films like Elf and Talladega Nights and Stranger Than Fiction and Blades of Glory. Mm-hmm. And boy, has he not made a good film in a while. I mean, you <laughs> like the Icelandic. Uh, I thought it was the, good. <laughs> what was it? The. It was called oh. Eurovision, and uh, the name it goes on to like uh, the Tale of Fire saga. That's it. It was right. it was good. I think it was my favorite movie. I, I, Anchorman. Uh, um, there was a film critic, um, Robert Wolanski, who said about Anchorman, 
at its best, it plays like modern day Marx Brothers in which every single thing that happens makes no sense and serves no purpose and nothing happens for any reason at all. It exists solely to get a laugh, not to make a point. And I think that it tr- I think that sums it up. It's like so it's, it's like anarchy. It's so silly. I love Anchorman. Yeah, um, I think it's Will Ferrell's best film. But uh, yeah, but so. And like I going along, like I never wanted to see the Bad Santa sequel. I heard yeah. it was really disappointing. It didn't. It wasn't written by the same original writers. It wasn't the same director, and the Coen Brothers didn't produce it. And I was like, I don't. I I'm not that. I, I I don't know about you, but like if you love a movie, and then a sequel comes out that like a lot of the original creators don't have anything to do, and it gets bad reviews, it's like. I don't care to see it, see it just because yeah. I like the original. It, well, and also it makes it seem like more of a money grab than anything else. Um, right. And I'm not saying that Borat is a money grab. I think that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen like legitimately wanted to make this film and it's very pointed. But I just felt like it was very hit or miss. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I'd probably give it like three and a half out of five, maybe four. Because yeah. I did, I did really, really like the performance of Maria Bakalova as his daughter. I think well, she has a real shot of getting nominated for an Oscar because this is such a weird year. Yeah, and I think that uh, the front runner right now, the reviews just came out today. Uh, they're saying Amanda Seyfried is like a revelation. Oh, and Mank performance yeah. and Mank playing Marion Davies. So she's, I think, the front runner to get a nomination and possibly win. And yeah, it's weird because this this will be a year where it's going to be bizarre. It's going to be most of the Oscar nominees are going to be like small movies. Like, could a movie like First Cow get nominated for stuff when it would never get nominated probably yeah. in a normal year? You know, because there's not, you know, not that, you know, you know, a lot of the big block, but like Wonder Woman and stuff like that wasn't necessarily going to get nominated except for technical stuff. But mm-hmm. there really is a absence of big movies. Dune mm-hmm. could quite possibly have been nominated for mm-hmm. major Oscars that got pushed to the next year and... Pretty much every big movie except Mulan went on Disney Plus. I don't think that's going to get nominated for anything. <laughs> no. Costumes or yes. something. Technical stuff, maybe. You haven't um, seen that yet, have you? No, I don't have Disney Plus. I have no desire no, to get Disney Plus. I haven't seen it yet Plus. either. Um, and I just, so yeah, so I, I, I think Trial of Chicago 7, um, I would be surprised if it doesn't get nominated for Best Original Screenplay and it gets nominated quite possibly for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be at least two actors for best supporting act it could be a year like the godfather where like three or three of the five nominees are for that movie it could be mark rylance uh, definitely and, mark rylance yeah, yeah Abdul sasha Mateen, probably cohen. and sasha baron cohen right so um I, I i i so don't care about awards this year it's like what is there to I, well this is gonna be i don't know this like kind of makes it more interesting because the oscars for such a long time were like no streaming is not movies we're not going to nominate streaming movies and this year it's like here you go every nominee is going to be streaming (laughs) it's like i i it would be really i would be really happy if uh charlie kaufman got nominated for original uh, adapted screenplay for i'm thinking of ending things which i think could possibly happen hopefully that one doesn't like fly under the radar because yeah it came out in september and i feel like it had a big moment where a lot of people were writing pieces about it and like the sort of like toxic masculinity or not even that but just like the version of masculinity we get now with all these people alone and sort of making up stuff about well we talked about it (laughs) well do you think that what will be interesting is because of the mix to general reviews that tenet got Mm -hmm. how that will fare at the oscars and also if there'll be backlash because of people 
having ill feelings toward Warner Brothers and or Christopher Nolan for releasing the film during the pandemic, whether there'll be people that are like, screw Nolan, like he was irresponsible. Oh, I had to get my movie out. Now, whether you, you know, whatever you think of that, but I think there might be some people. There's definitely that, been that feeling uh, over the last yeah. few weeks. Like I know Nolan came out for the first time in a long time about the box office performance uh, and was like, we have to judge it on a curve. But because yeah. I, I heard it was such a early September was like a different time. Everyone felt like it was over. Well, I think that. I think that there there are a number of film critics that were like, I'm I'm upset with Nolan. He was irresponsible, and I'm not going to review the film until I can watch it from home. Really? Yeah, there were which people will be were early like, December. I think it's like fast track to home release. Right. I mean, I, I you know what I'm honestly planning on doing is making like my top five favorite films of the year this year, and then doing a top ten list of movies I saw for the first time in 2020 uh, <laughs> that came out. A, any year besides this one because i've only honestly it's crazy i think i've only seen about 25 films this year uh, mine's definitely me, like under 15 and basically yeah. all of them are streaming the only movie i saw in the theater besides tenet was a movie that was released last year for trivia lady on fire and i don't expect to see another movie in theaters besides tenet because so many are closed around me now i definitely plan on going to see mank uh in the theater that'll i guess that'll probably get released in atlanta near you right Right, right. I saw Rebecca. I saw Trial of the Chicago 7. I saw I'm Thinking of Ending Things on Netflix films. Was Rebecca Man, worth seeing? No. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking maybe we can talk about that next time, but I don't um, know. <laughs> the, and another one where the original film isn't streaming anywhere. Oh, yeah? Best best Picture winner. Hitchcock's first American film. Not it streaming. is only Oscar winner, right? Only Best Picture winner. Okay. And Hitchcock never won an Oscar for a uh, competitive Oscar. Yeah, that is crazy to think. About. But um, so I recommend Trial of Chicago 7. I recommend watching the original Borat or rewatching it. Um, that's my that's my say. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one of these to watch, it would definitely be Trial of Chicago 7. Um, right. But I don't know. Is any is anything coming out soon on streaming? Mank comes out pretty soon in theaters. I know then, uh, David Copperfield is coming out on home video pretty soon so i'll finally be able to see that <laughs> i'm gonna try to catch up after i finish the semester on a number of movies uh that came out I, like I, I have still not seen it's been so long there's now two spike lee films i haven't seen i haven't, oh yeah i never got it i haven't seen the five bloods and i haven't seen american utopia which is supposed to be excellent oh yeah is that a movie i guess it's like a performance yeah, it's like you know thing. it's like the previous talking heads it's uh you know yeah, uh, concert uh, film i guess yeah it's it, well that's the you know i, I like i want to teach a whole class on what is a film what is television these days yeah. you know if it's streaming you know does it matter if, like they're like i don't think anyone would argue the last waltz that's a film right yes yeah so i think american utopia it's like it what is that on hbo it's hbo max yeah the Witches, which I have no desire to see, um, <laughs> was on HBO. That would have played in theaters, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. It's it's, like I mean, the, this is just, I was just reading like Trial of Chicago 7 was like a Paramount movie until this summer, basically, right? When Netflix bought it for, I think, yeah. 56 million. So, yeah. The only other, um, the other big major film I'm looking forward to is Nomad Land. Yeah. How is that going to be released? McDormand. Do you know? It's theaters, okay, and eventually streaming, I guess. But it's uh, Francis it. McDormand. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, who directed a wonderful film called The Writer, mm -hmm. R I D E R, um, one of the very best reviewed films a few years ago. Um, and they're saying that Francis McDormand is a front runner for Best Actress, which will be her third win if she gets it. 
that would yeah, be crazy. Not. The the two the three billboards one is always shocking to me. That well, she I love the for fact that. she did zero campaigning. She does not care, and she won it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why it was so shocking. It's like she was like, "Whoa, I won!" <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I we've talked enough about silly awards, and it's like I like I haven't seen enough. Like it, Oscar no, yeah, predictions are, but I think she, it's like I there's like two in each category. And it, I exactly. Like <laughs> We're gonna end up with like Tenet will be nominated for like twenty Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> I, and it's just like I, I don't think that like I'll be disappointed if Nolan's nominated for best director for Tenet because he doesn't I, I will be too uh. you know and I, I but it would the, the other side of that is it would be this I don't think it's going to happen but it would be like really cool if I'm thinking of ending things got more than just screenplay best. yeah like I could see best Jesse Buckley has a real chance for lead actress supporting. Yeah, or uh, Jimmy uh, Jesse Plemons for, for supporting, supporting. Her thing, maybe if yeah. he if they're not out if there's not too many of the Trials of Chicago Seven ones. exactly all five supporting actor spots from Trials of Chicago Seven. I was going to ask you, um, that's the last time that there has been in a lead category best actor or actress uh-huh. more than one from the same film. I think honestly, the last time that happened was Thelma and Louise. Can you think of a more recent one? Oh, where I thought that was actor... one not that long ago. Um... I, I know the kids are all right. They thought that they both might get nominated, but it was just Annette Benning, And there was talk that Ford versus Ferrari, but neither of them got nominated. Uh-huh. Um, that's the problem, too, is that sometimes it's clearly there's two lead performances, but they nominate one for lead and one for supporting. Like, is Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, they're both lead actors, I would say, uh, in The Master, right? Mm-hmm. You know, why was one supporting, you know, and like clearly Viola. Oh, Davis. the Irishman. Yeah. Well, and Viola Davis clearly is lead actress along with Denzel Washington and Vince's, but they put her in that category because they thought it would be more, you know, likely that she, and like the favorite, you know, that's three lead performances as much. I yeah, don't know, I did not think Olivia Coleman was the lead actress in that movie. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're going off topic, but. But yeah, okay, supporting would be the Irishman, which was yeah. last year. And then Three Billboards yeah. was also nominated for Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell. But in the lead... And the up in the air uh, was Farrah Farmiga and Anna Kendricks. But yeah. I don't think lead... I, I lead for actress, that. you are exactly right, is Thelma and Louise. Yeah. Lead for best actor, actor. do you have a guess? It, it, it won Best it Picture. Cr- it was 1985. 1985, it would have been... That was the year out of Africa one? Well, that that's the year, oh. but this is the ceremony. Oh, um... <laughs> Give me, give me a hint. Uh, Say one word. Music. Was it Amadeus? Yes, it was. Was it Amadeus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. F. Okay, Murray yeah. Abraham and Tom Hulse. Yeah. F. All right. Abraham well, Hull. you can cut some of this out. If <laughs> I don't know. Up. This is all riveting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, well, we uh, both highly, highly recommend Trial of Chicago 7. I, I recommend very seeing nice. <laughs> the Borat subsequent movie film. Uh, but if you haven't seen the original, that would definitely take priority because... As Jonathan mentioned, that is truly one of the masterpieces of this century as far as comedy is concerned. But uh, And by the way, he should have been nominated for Best Actor. For <laughs> yeah, he should have. But unfortunately, yeah. the Academy still had a bit of snobbishness that I, I think has receded a little bit over recent years. Yeah. Uh, in terms of granting comedy roles, uh, they're correct due, but... I hope we I hope we record another episode before Mank, <laughs> but that's the next one that really is is capturing my attention. So maybe it will be a post Mank review. Um, I don't know. 
Thank you for All listening, right. and we'll be back with y'all next time. Hopefully, we have a new president <laughs> by the next time uh, we have a podcast. And maybe before this podcast goes up, we have a new president. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with y'all next time. <laughs>